not to tell you new things. My job is to remind you of what you already know. That's my, I have a great job. I am the nuisance that keeps reminding you. I'm the nag. You guys know this. I'm blessed I don't have to tell you guys something new and interesting every week. I just keep reminding you of what you already know. And when you hear it again, what happens when you remember? Like, oh yeah. Right? That's right. I'm a child of the king. Jesus is real. It's all good. Why am I freaking out? Sometimes we let the cares of this world have so much more of a place of importance in our lives than we should. Stop and think about what we say we believe as Christians. We believe in a God we've never seen who sent His only Son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We believe that when we die or when Jesus returns, we will spend eternity with God in a place called heaven. Again, a place we've never seen. And yet we struggle to believe that our God is able to help us make the rent next month. Brothers and sisters, we serve a big God. So don't stop here because Jesus doesn't stop here. Don't stop. Oh, yeah, I'm dead. I'm done. I'm shamed. I'm condemned. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't stop there. Satan wants to keep you there. Jesus doesn't stop there. Because look at what he says in verse 2. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now I'm going to make two points out of this challenge. The first I want to pull out first, and then I'm going to show you seven steps to revival. Seven keys or steps to revival. Before we get there, notice at the end of verse 3, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief, and you will know you will not know what hour I come upon you. you. Know what this teaches us? This teaches us that we are living on borrowed time. We are living, all of us, on borrowed time. When Jesus starts saying, look, I'm going to come as a thief, that's a very deep and long biblical picture that Jesus gives about what scholars call the doctrine of eminency. What that means is that Jesus, his return is at an hour that we do not expect, like a thief in the night. Listen to Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44. Jesus says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. I mean, God forbid your house got broken into. I mean, 
I remember when I was growing up, it happened when I was a child. And my, I remember talking to my parents about it later. And they said, man, I just felt so violated because I come home every day, I felt totally safe. And then after the house got broken into, every time I go home, I felt unsafe. He just never quite knew what was going on. Jesus is saying, look, you need to be watchful. You need to be watchful because if you're not watchful to the church and stars, he says, look, I'm coming as a thief. I'm coming upon you unexpectedly. And the reality is, is since the ascension of Jesus, every single moment, it could be the last moment. Every single generation of followers of Jesus are waiting for the imminent return of Jesus at a moment we do not know. And you need to be ready for when he comes. You see the bumper sticker, Jesus is coming, look busy. You guys ever see that one? I love that one. They're making fun of us. They are, but I still think it's funny. Because it's true, he is coming, but God knows who we are, and we should be ready when he comes. The, Jesus is saying, look, to the church and stars, you guys are living on borrowed time. If you are not willing to take my challenge, I'm going to come like a thief at a moment you don't realize. That's what he says to them. His challenge is, look, you're living on borrowed time. And I think this is an important application for us because you and I are living on borrowed time. Listen to Winston Churchill. Now, I don't always, I don't often quote political folks, but this is him speaking to Great Britain in the early days of World War II. And I thought it was such a powerful quotation on this idea of being watchful, being mindful. He says this, I must drop one word of caution for next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. That's rough, isn't it? He's saying, look, our nation is at war and next to cowardice and treachery, the next worst wartime crime is overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness. And that's exactly what was going on in the church in Sardis. And that is also exactly what's going on in some of our lives today. Some of us, because we're like, hey, I'm a Christian, and I got all the time in the world. So there's an overconfidence, and it's leading to neglect and slothfulness. It's not leading to full engagement in the purposes and plans of God in your own life, in your own family, at your job, in your neighborhood, in our community, and in the world. Because of our confidence in Jesus, there's a, we're sitting back in the recliner. We're popping a soda pop. We got a plethora of little remotes so we could just work out our thumbs the rest of our lives. When Jesus wants each person all the way in, because of the finished work of Jesus, we become a family. We get fully engaged being the body part that God has created us to be. And we go out transforming our community and our world because God is transforming us. For some of us, our faith in Jesus has led to overconfidence, which has led to neglect and laziness. And we look like we're alive, but we're really dead. Some of us carry big Bibles and we haven't served anybody in a long time. Some of us talk of judge everyone. We've never even given a penny to the work of the Lord. Not rolling up our sleeves, getting our hands dirty, knee deep, in sheep dump. That's who God wants us to be. See, we're living on borrowed time. 
You may never have another chance to share the gospel with your spouse, with your kids, with your neighbors. You may never have a chance to help feed that person that you know is in a bad way and you have refrigerators full of food. You may never get another chance because Jesus could come back like a thief and we miss God's blessed opportunity to change the world. I don't know about you guys. I'm not looking to go out like that. And you shouldn't be either. When Jesus comes back, we shouldn't just look busy. We should be busy. We should have our, our sleeves rolled up, more ministry than we know what to do with recruiting all our friends. You've got to help me. God's on the move. I don't even know what to do. Help, help, help. Because there's so many needs. The needs are so vast. So we are living on borrowed time. Now, I pull that out because I want to show you seven keys to revival from verses 2 to 4. Jesus gives us seven keys. Now, what's fascinating about this with Jesus, these seven keys, and if you're following the study guide, there's a space for each one. What's fascinating about Jesus is like, you're dead. You better get going because I'm coming. He doesn't say, well, listen, I'm going to revive you. He actually gives them things to do. Now, don't miss that because some of us are fatalistic in our view of God where we say, if God wants to do something in me, he's going to do it, and I, I just have to sit back and wait for it. God places all of these keys on the church's side of the wall. He already wants to revive them. He already has done everything necessary to take care of them, but they need to step up to the plate. So these seven keys are us stepping up to the plate. Look at them. First, be watchful. Very simple. Right there in the beginning of verse 2. Be watchful. It's a call to reverse their attitudes in a radical way. It means wake up, be constantly alert. So Jesus begins to be like, wake up, open your eyes, be ready, be alert. For some of us today, we just got to open our eyes. We got to wake up. Maybe today for you, it's an alarm sounding spiritually. Wake up, be awake, open your eyes. He doesn't stop there. Look in the middle, second part of verse 2. And strengthen the things which remain. The church, in effect, is dead, but there's still slight glimpses of light. There's still some life in there. And those things that are still there, that are just hanging on, those embers of the fire that's just about to go out, he's like, strengthen them, revive them, build them up. Jesus wants the flames fanned to burn bright again. Some things and people are salvageable if quick and decisive action is taken. I remember when my mother was diagnosed with cancer when I was 20 years old, 21 years old. And I remember when they found it, they went right in. They were like, we need to go and get this right now. That's what strength in the things which remain is all about. It's saying, look, make decisive action right now. If we're going to try and keep this thing going, we need to go in there right now, and we need to get it done. And brother, sister, you do not have the time today to wait. You need to write in strength. Those things that still got life in them, grab hold of them and undergird them and build them up. Fan those flames. Strengthen those things which remain, which are ready to die. They're not dead. They're about ready to. And I believe you're here to hear that wake-up call, to strengthen it. Third, notice this, complete your works. That's what he says. Complete your works. 
Look what it says. I have not found your works perfect before the Lord. See, that word perfect means completed, fulfilled. See, their works, the things that they were doing were not brought to fulfillment. They were content with the reputation of people as opposed to the blessings of God. That's when a work becomes complete, when you take it out of the realm of just the interpersonal and you say, God, I want your blessings here. That's why a a life lived purely on the horizontal axis just to be a good dad just to be a good husband, just to be a good employee, it's not enough because there is one more person who is radically essential, the almighty God, who our works come to fulfillment when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, our culture teaches us. It teaches us simply just do good enough that nobody thinks that you're a louse. Just be a good dad, be a good husband, be a good employee, save for retirement. Don't be a burden on your kids unless you really want to for fun. (laughs) Those things are not bad, but they are not completed works. Because a complete work is when God says, that's my child. That's what a redeemed life in Christ looks like. So the third key, be watchful, strengthen, complete your works. Let God put the cherry on top. That gives us its substance. Good job. Notice, it keeps going. Fourth, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Like the church in Ephesus, Jesus says, remember, have a memory of who you are. So many of us, we have short memories. We forget what it was like. So much in the Bible is about remembrances. Communion, as we come to the Lord's table, Wednesday by Wednesday and once a month here on a Sunday morning, we're constantly being reminded of the finished work of Jesus. How often have I told a couple who are struggling in their marriage, go back and watch your wedding video. Remember what it was like when your love was naive and innocent, before there was all sorts of water and messes under the bridge. How much love there was there. How so easy we say, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Richer or poor, sickness and in health. And, and then your spouse is sick. And you're like, oh, just get up. Come on. Take some NyQuil. When our love was young and naive, how often do you say, go back and watch that again? Why? So that you can remember what simple love looked like. Not wounded love. So many of us spiritually need to remember what we've received and heard. Of course, he's talking about the, the testimony of the apostles, the word of God. How often do we need to have the scriptures brought to our remembrance? Brothers and sisters, read the word. Listen to the word. You're like, I don't really like reading. Well, man, get the MP3s. Well, I don't really have an iPod. Well, get them on CD. Well, obviously, get them on tape. And if you're rolling with an 8-track, we can get them on 8-track for you too, trust me. There's no excuse. Get the word of God in you that you keep hearing over and over what God has done, who he is, how he works. We need to remember what we've received and heard, what we already know. That's my job as as your pastor, as one of them. My job is not to tell you new things. My job is to remind you of what you already know. I have a great job. I am the nuisance that keeps reminding you. I'm the nag. I get to just nag you. Yeah, you know this. You know this. You guys know this. That's my job. 
I'm blessed I don't have to tell you guys something new and interesting every week. I just keep reminding you of what you already know. And when you hear it again, what happens when you remember? Like, oh, yeah, right? That's right. I'm a child of the king. Jesus is real. It's all good. Why am I freaking out? So remember, remember. Not only remember, but he goes on. He says, hold fast. It's another one. One of the keys. Hold fast. This speaks of a continuous action. It's in the Greek. It's in the present imperative tense. Begin to act in accordance with your former spiritual vitality. He's saying, listen, not only remember, but grab hold of it and don't let go. It reminds me of Jacob with the angel he wrestled at the river Jabbok. He says, I won't let you go till you bless me. That's what we have to do. A key to revival is when you have something that God has done, something that's strong, grab hold of it and don't let it go. Not for anything. Like your own, I've got this thing, it's mine. Hold fast. Not only that, listen sixth. Classic word, repent, middle of verse three. Repent. The church in Ephesus, the church in Pergamos, now the church in Sardis, and later we're going to find the church in Laodicea. Four out of the seven churches, Jesus says, repent. Now, as I always say, when you think of the word repentance, those of you who don't go to church very much, you think about some really scary-looking guy with a big beard frothing at the mouth, standing outside of a subway or bus terminal with a sign that says, the end of the world is you're going, repent. And it's a, terrible, it's a terrible way to think of the word. The Bible tells us, Romans 2, 4, that it's the goodness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Repentance is a term of love. It's a term of a, a husband or a wife saying to their wayward spouse, I love you, just come back. That's what it means. So when Jesus says repent, he's not like, repent, you know, like eyes, it's not that. It's, it, it's, it's the call of the lover to the beloved. Just saying, just come back. Please come back. That's a key to revival. Just come back. To the lover of your soul, yes, you've strayed. Yes, he knows it. He knows all the variables. He's not saying you're done. He's saying come back, repent, turn around, and walk back to me. It's an urgent call to return to life. And then finally, the seventh key. Notice what you get in verse 4. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Finally, the seventh key, walk with the Lord in purity. Walk with the Lord in purity. He's saying, look, even though the church is dead, there's some people there who still are clean. And he says they haven't defiled their garments. So, so that picture of having soiled garments and then getting clean garments, it speaks of the forgiveness that God offers us that we've mangled ourselves. I mean, we're raising young kids, you know? And so there's nothing quite like when your kids come back and they're just head to toe dirty. And, and that's right. You don't let them in the house like that, right? You put them out in the backyard with the spray gun. It's like parent joy, you know? Like, come on. Because you won't let them in the house like that, right? See, we need to walk we need to walk with the Lord in purity. This reminds me of Enoch from Genesis chapter 5. He walked with the Lord and was not for the Lord took him. One of the keys to revival is just to walk with the Lord in purity. 
Lay aside those things that you know are defiling, those things that you know don't honor God. You just, you just put them on the side. You don't even consider them for your life. And you just walk with the Lord. Day in and day, you wake up, you say, Lord, you are with me. You are in me. Let's roll into today. Let's see what's going on. And as you're walking, and when temptation comes, whatever your temptations are, you just look at it. You say, you know what, Lord? We got to do that. And Lord's like, nah. And you're like, yeah, you're right. You just walk by the ice cream aisle. Don't even look. Just, that's how I do it. I walk through the ice cream aisle with my head down. Because if I know if I look up, I'm going to see those Oreo cookie sandwiches. Mm. Ice cream sandwiches, Ben and Jerry's, Briars, slow churned. You see how it goes? I'm like, Lord, shall we have ice cream? And he's like, let's eat, Daniel, let's eat. No. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Just walk with the Lord. I don't think eating ice cream is impure or defiling, really. Only if you eat the whole half gallon. Those are the seven keys that we be watchful, that we strengthen, that we complete our works, that we remember, that we hold fast, that we repent, and that we walk with the Lord in purity. Now, look at the promise as we close out our message. Verse 5, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our final point of the morning is this, that we need to let Jesus be Lord. His promise, let Jesus be Lord. He says in verse 5, he who overcomes, we get three things, three promises to the overcomer shall be clothed in white garments. Second, that our names will not be blotted out of the book of life. And then third, he will confess our name before his father and before the angels. Remember I said, let Jesus be Lord. I'm going to explain to you how this verse, this promise, explains how Jesus is Lord. Look at it. Each one of these things is beautiful. That you will be clothed in white. This speaks of forgiveness. It speaks of forgiveness, being clothed in white. We're just picking up that same imagery that we saw. Jesus wants us to be clothed in white. It speaks of, for us, forgiveness. Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how dead you are at this present moment, though your sins were red like scarlet, he'll take off those defiled clothes, those soiled clothes, and he'll robe you in white. That's forgiveness. That's what Jesus offers to you today. If you will simply receive it. Jesus is Thank you so much for listening to Jesus' Real Radio. It's important for each one of us that our faith and relationship with God through Jesus is our own. And I'm sure for some of you right now who are listening, your faith is not your own. You're actually living off of maybe your parents' faith or your spouse's faith. It's their faith that is 
sustaining your life or in some of the traditions of the church maybe it's a pastor or a priest who functions as the go-between for you and god but listen there is one mediator between god and man and that is the man christ jesus god wants your faith to be personal it's not about your parents and god it's not about your spouse or your children and god wants to have a personal and intimate relationship with you And I believe that for some of you right now, it's time for you to make your faith your own by saying, God, I'm not going to live off of the, the, the faith of someone else. But God, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to be a son or a daughter of God. I want to mature in my faith. And if that's you, listen, that is exactly what God wants for you. And just simply tell that to the Lord right now. Just say, God, I want my own faith and I want to be grown up in your plans and your purposes for my life. Lord, lead me and guide me. Lord, bless me and protect me. Lord, I want to know you more. And God rejoices in that prayer. And God desires to take those steps with you. 